Welcome. The Bible reading for this message is taken from Psalm 57. It would be great if you could push pause on this video now and go and have a read of Psalm 57 and then come back. Also, this is part three of a series looking at David alone in the cave from 1 Samuel chapter 22. Uh, we looked at Psalm 142 last week and Psalm 157 rounds out the series. So we'll see you back here in a second just after you've read through Psalm 57. Uh, David has been alone in this cave on the run from Saul, on the run for his life, uh, simply because he's God's anointed king, uh, the one whom God has chosen to replace Saul. Uh, we've learned and seen uh, that David is in uh, great distress uh, during this time, and after all, who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be incredibly stressed out knowing that there was somebody out hell-bent on killing them? Uh, but as we've just learned from David, and as we've discovered through his story and through the Psalms, uh, there are so many lessons that we can learn about coping with stress, uh, about what God is doing in forming us as we hide away in the cave. I think that one of the things that jumped out at me uh, looking through Psalm 57 is that David is um, playing a game. Actually, he's not playing a game, he's, uh, but it reminded me of a game. It reminded me of hide and seek. Because here you have David hiding away in the cave, but at the same time, as he's hiding in the cave, he's also seeking God. Uh, God's name is mentioned at least 21 times uh, in Psalm 57, and then a couple of extra times um, through uh, allusions or metaphors or images. And here you have David, who was the greatest worship leader of the Old Testament. He wrote all of his psalms. He sang all of his psalms. He gives us this great biblical model for God-centered worship. And it was all uh, before Israel had the temple. It was all before Solomon built the temple and Israel had this uh, place to worship. Uh, David did all of that without a building. And at times he did it, hiding away very much alone in a cave. And the reason that I'm drawing our attention to that at the beginning of this sermon and at the beginning of this psalm is because uh, that historical biblical fact is very significant. It's significant because of this. A building is not essential for us to worship God in spirit and in truth. Yes, God desired that there would be a temple. Uh, God is building us up into a temple, into a spiritual temple, and one day we will dwell with God forever. But in the meantime, true worship isn't defined by going to a place uh, to do worship. Uh, what we see here is worship uh, flourishing uh, under stress. We see worship flourishing alone. And God showing us clearly uh, that the essential element to deep and powerful worship uh, resides somewhere else entirely. And so that's what we're going to be unpacking this morning, is what is true worship? And what can we learn about true worship from David's time in the cave? And I hope that what you'll see from this psalm is plain, that the place that you are right now, the place where we are right now, is a place where God is forming us, and is a place for our worship to be true and deep and powerful. I believe that God has given us all that we need for life and godliness at this time, because that's one of his promises. But what's more than that is that we have been made for such a time as this. If 
we will learn what God was trying to teach Israel in putting David the psalmist before Solomon the temple builder, namely to hold fast to what is essential for vital, deep, powerful, God-centered worship. Uh, that to understand that our time right now is not about surviving the pandemic. It's actually thriving in our relationship with God in the midst of the pandemic. After all, we know that God's promise through Jesus Christ is that my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, John Piper has an incredibly helpful little four-line poem to help us to understand uh, what that grace does. He says, it's not grace to bar what is not bliss, nor flight from all distress, but this, the grace that orders our trouble and pain, and then in the darkness is there to sustain. You see, that's what David found in the cave. He found this grace. It didn't bar what wasn't bliss. Who wants to hide out in a cold, damp cave, not knowing if today might be your last day? Uh, who wants to uh, face this kind of distress? But you see, what grace does is it comes in, it orders our trouble and our pain, and then in the darkness of the cave, grace is there to sustain us. That is what sustaining grace is. So, Let's have a look at how David learned to worship God, how he was sustained by this grace, how the grace was sufficient for him in his time in the cave. So here's the first thing that we see. The first thing that we uh, see uh, in David is that true worship has the courage to praise God while in distress. True worship is able to praise God while in distress. It's courageous, confident worship. Uh, the hazards of David's life were brought on because of the call that God had placed on his life. But David wouldn't back out. Uh, he wouldn't shy away. You know, on one level, all David had to do was relinquish what God had called him to do, to run far away, to do what Jonah did uh, when God called him to go to Nineveh. But David wouldn't do that. Uh, David continued uh, to confidently and courageously uh, trust God even in the midst of distress, and he wouldn't give up God's call on his life to be king. David's situation in Psalm 57 and verse 4, I'm surrounded by lions. I lie down among devouring lions, people whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Or verse 6, they prepared a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me. David didn't have to endure this, but he did. And it was the result of a deep, living, authentic, God-centered relationship that these psalms of worship rose out of. And so here's the point that we need to understand, is that if we constantly choose the path of safety and comfort and security, instead of venturing hazardous things for God, in obedience to his call to love and to witness, then our worship will grow thin and contrived and worldly and unreal. But if we do what David did and follow the call of God, hazards and all, then we will come to uh, this place week in and week out with a sense of deepening reality and power. And we will be able to worship God in spirit and in 
truth. So that's the first thing that we pick up, is that David was able to courageously worship God in the midst of distress. His stress didn't stop him from praying and crying out and praising the Lord. The second thing that we learn is that true worship begins with humility. You notice that David never calls the cave his refuge. He calls God his refuge. 21 times he calls out to God, either by name or pronoun, in Psalm 57. Uh, we need to recognize uh, the prominence of God on the mind of this young fugitive. In fact, it wouldn't be out of place to say that David is preoccupied with God while his life is in imminent danger. I wonder if there isn't something in there for us. When we face times of great stress, uh, when our job is on the line, uh, when our bank balance is really low, when there's uncertainty about a relationship and how it might turn out, when we find ourselves at a crossroads or a situation, do we uh, find security in the cave, alone, in ourselves? Or do we find ourselves preoccupied with God in the midst of that stressful situation? You see, that therein lies the humility that we're talking about. David didn't think more of himself than he ought to have. In actual fact, he humbles himself. Verse 1, be gracious to me, God, be gracious to me, uh, for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. Uh, I call to God Most High, who fulfills his purpose for me. So there you have David crying out, be merciful to me, God, be gracious to me, O God. Uh, true worship comes uh, from the ability to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And I'm not saying that that is an easy thing to do. In actual fact, it's an incredible difficult thing to do, to humble ourselves before the Lord. Because we're always wanting to raise ourselves up. We're always wanting to magnify ourselves. Uh, but look at David. Uh, look at his language. Look at the words that he chooses. He's able to put aside his situation, to put aside his circumstances, and to focus on the Lord. And I think that, uh, you know, even this picture that you have in verse, um, end of verse 1, I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a picture that runs throughout the scriptures. Uh, back in Exodus, the, the Lord speaks about how he carried Israel on eagles' wings out of Egypt. Uh, the psalmist borrows this idea of being uh, under the Lord's wings and finding protection and safety there. Uh, Jesus himself actually uses this picture in Matthew 23 and verse 37, where he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how I often have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. You see, that puts David's words into right perspective, doesn't it? Here is this great warrior, and yet he doesn't see himself like that. He sees himself as a, as a baby chick that needs to be carried on eagle's wings, that needs to be found to be under the protection of a mother hen, that only there will he find safety and will he be guarded. 
There's three more things that sort of drive home this idea of, of David's lowliness. You know, his, his cry for mercy, he sees himself as unworthy and in desperate need of God. His cry for refuge, which we spoke a little bit about in Psalm 142, so I'm not going to go down that road again, but he feels vulnerable before his enemies. As he cries for refuge, he knows the cave isn't going to provide refuge. Maybe for a little bit, but not ultimate refuge. And so he humbles himself because he knows that only in the Lord can he find refuge. And it's interesting if you contrast Psalm 142 with Psalm 57, uh, because David's um, psyche is very much at this point being in God, being in the Lord. Uh, the movement from the desperation to confidence between Psalm 142 and Psalm 57 is actually quite striking. And the third thing, so he cries for mercy, he cries for refuge, and he cries to be placed under uh, the shadow of these wings. He desires and recognizes his need for the covering over of God. This is the man who killed Goliath, the boy man who killed Goliath. Uh, Saul had slain his thousands, but David had slain his ten thousands. And yet David uh, was able to be so humble in this situation to recognize that he couldn't go it alone. He needed the Lord to intervene and to be his helper. And that really, friends, is this is the doorway to worship. Um, the, the doorway to true worship is placing our full confidence in the Lord. Humility walks through that doorway and is able to worship God like this because it understands that you can't really magnify the greatness of God and the greatness of yourself at the same time. After all, the sacrifice that is acceptable to God is a broken spirit. It's a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise that. Therefore, true worship flows out of the person who's willing to humble themselves under the mighty hands of God. The third thing we recognize about true worship here is that true worship revels and hopes in the triumph of God. It's very hard to make God look glorious while you're feeling anxious and distressed. Hope and joy are the best echoes of his excellence in worship. So how do you move from a place of feeling like you're going to lose really, really badly, which is where David was, to the point where we can place our hope and revel in the future triumph of God. Well, verse 2 shows David's deep conviction and his assurance that his hope in God will not be frustrated. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Now, there you have it again. A lot of reference. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Uh, the idea there is that this is the God who completes for me. This is the God who vindicates on my behalf. The Hebrew uh, simply says uh, to God who completes or finishes for me. So David is coming to a God who works for him, who has a purpose for him, and who finishes all that he starts. 
God is for him and not against him. We need to hear that. You need to hear that this morning. That God is not against you, that he is for you, and that God will fulfill all his purposes for you. He will complete for you what he has set out to accomplish. The bottom line for David and worship is not really possible without it, is that the God for whom I give up my whole life, the God for whom I give my entire life, the God under whom I humble myself, this God is for me, and he will complete his purpose without fail because he is God and sovereign over all his enemies. To put it another way, Romans 4, talking about Abraham's faith, Abraham believed or was certain that God was able to do what he had promised, that God could make a promise and he had the ability to fulfill his promise, and Abraham put his faith in that. Uh, so that to truly worship God, we actually have to believe, we actually have to trust that he will not fail that he can triumph and that he will triumph. You can't really worship God unless you believe that he is for you and that he will win in the end. Otherwise, your worship's only ever going to be half-hearted. Uh, God's uh, good purpose uh, for David and for us is found in verse 3, where he says, He will send from heaven and save me, challenging the one who tramples me, God sends his faithful love and truth. You see, that's God's purpose for us. His purpose is to save us. And just because he's in heaven and we are here on earth doesn't mean he will be frustrated, doesn't mean that he will stop. This isn't going to get away uh, from God because of spatial distance. God is working to save those who hope in him. And from heaven, he is saving you. He is sending forth his love and his faithfulness. Look down in verse 10 to understand the extent of that love and faithfulness. For your faithful love is as high as the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches the clouds. In other words, there's no part of any expanse in all of creation that is not filled with God's faithful love. His faithfulness towards those who have put their trust and are hoping in him, who are worshiping him in spirit and in truth, is endless and boundless, and it fills all things. That's God's good purpose for David and for us, is that he reaches down from heaven and he saves me. If you really want to worship God, you have to believe that with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. At times, uh, you might feel like you're being blown here or there due to changing circumstances, but we know that our God doesn't change, and that he will complete for me all that he has set out to complete for me. That no enemy can stand before him that this purpose is good and not evil, that God is working to save those who hope in him, and he's not working to destroy them. God is not working to destroy you. God has not forgotten you. He is placing you under the shadow of your wing, of his wings, so that where you can find safety and security and rest and peace. And so if we want to worship uh, God uh, like this, 
If we want our worship of God to be real and true, to have uh, the blessing of God upon our worship, then we must learn to hazard things for the name of God. Uh, we must learn to be courageous in our worship despite our stress. We must learn to humble ourselves under the hand of God. And we must place our hope in the sovereign triumph of God, for he has won the victory. To know and trust that he is for us, and nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth can ever succeed against us, because God is for us. And finally, we need to understand the goal of true worship. True uh, worship uh, comes from or flows from a desire to hail God among the nations, to hail him before all peoples. Uh, worship has entrenched in it a, an expansive impulse. Uh, the more real we feel our worship, the more intense our worship of God is. And let me just pause there by saying, when I talk about worship, I'm not just talking about praising God. I'm not just talking about singing. Uh, Romans chapter 12 tells us that we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our act of spiritual worship. When we give our whole self over to God, that is when we worship him in spirit and in truth. And that is what it means to worship God with all of our life. That we use all of our life to seek to bring glory to God. And as we do that, uh, our worship expands throughout the world as other people see our worship of God. And so, you know, twice in these verses, David says, God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. And he repeats it in verse 11. In verse 8, uh, wake up my soul. In verse 7, my heart is confident. God, my heart is confident. I will sing. I will sing. He always little repetitions of, uh, of David's emotional state as he arrives at this point. And then in verse 9, and here you have, this is the goal of true worship. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. David uh, wants to hail and honor the name of the Lord before all people uh, on the, the streets of the southern suburbs, uh, on the highways of the city of Cape Town. He wants to shout aloud of the righteous deeds of the Lord, to declare to all peoples of his faithful love and his faithfulness uh, that reaches to the clouds. You see, if God is worth uh, this courageous worship in giving up our whole life to him in service and love, if we are eager to humble ourselves under his mighty hands, if we bank all of our hope on his goodness to us and his tr sovereign triumph in all the world, then will we not want to hail him among the peoples? You see, there's something that's wrong with a private God. You know, David didn't stay in the cave forever. As wonderful and as sweet as his communion was with God in that time, he eventually wanted to break out and praise God's name among the peoples and among the nations. There's something wrong with a private God and private worship of God. But if our God is great, then we will go public with our worship. Then we will give thanks to you, 
O Lord among the peoples. We will sing praises to you among the nations. And so, friends, as we still find ourselves alone in a cave, or as you find yourself alone in a cave, as we begin to go back out into the world, we're reminded, firstly, uh, that true worship uh, is found in a relationship with God, despite our circumstances, that it takes a stand of courage to praise God in the middle of our stress and to find things to praise God for in our stress. Uh, that true worship uh, is worship that's entered into humbly as we make God great and as we think of ourselves less because we can't magnify God and ourselves at the same time. We can't give glory to him and glory to us. And so true worship is uh, recognizing and humbly coming before the Lord. Uh, true worship is believing with our whole heart that God is for us and not against us. And true worship desires to sing God's praises and to give thanks to him among all peoples. And so as we think about, as you think about your worship of the Lord, does your worship of the Lord ring true in those areas? And in what parts of your life uh, do you need to repent, turn to God, or ask him for help so that you can worship him with this kind of worship? David was able to do this in the cave. And the, the prominence of God uh, in his mind is something that should uh, be taken to heart by each one of us. Is the Lord at the forefront of your mind all the time, all the time, all the time, in all your situations, stressful or not? Uh, that was what got David through his time in the cave, that he found everything in God. Friends, uh, with the worries and the troubles and the circumstances of life, we may be able to go it on our own for a little while, but eventually we will come unstuck. But the one who puts their hope in the Lord will never be put to shame. And so like David, with courage and confidence, can I implore you to put your hope in the Lord and to learn uh, from this worship of David and to let it flow out in all your life. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray that our worship would be true. We pray, Lord, that we wouldn't keep your greatness to ourselves, but that you would expand our view of you, that we might grow in bringing you glory and making much of you in our lives. Father, be pleased to work in us, we pray, and help us to this end. In Jesus' name, amen.